Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to today's FEPS Talks uh, podcast. As we are marking the LGBTQ Pride Month and just a few days ahead of the International Pride Day, we could not do otherwise than dedicate uh, a specific FEPS Talk podcast to this very specific subject. My name is Leticia Tissin. I'm FEPS Gender Equality Policy Advisor. And with our very special guest uh, speaker today, Flora Bolter. Uh, she's a political scientist, activist, and co-director of the LGBT Plus Observatory of the Fondation Jean Jaurès, one of our member foundations uh, in France. Uh, we will explore the importance of marking this important event, trying to uh, paint an overall picture on how the EU fares and holding uh, LGBTQ rights uh, as one of its core principles in light of the current uh, context and its member states. So thank you very much for being with us today, Flora. Thank you. I'm, it's an honor for me to be uh, to to have this conversation, to be here, and thank you for having me. As we get started, perhaps uh, you could share with us a few more words about yourself, uh, what is your background, uh, and what makes you so passionate about this topic? <laughs> well, uh, as you said, I'm a political scientist. That's the official, that's my formal training, and that's uh, what I'm supposed to do for a living. But I'm also a person, and I'm, I have always been very involved in uh, the fight for equality and for equal rights, particularly as, as part of that mythical group, the LGBTQIA plus group, where I don't know if the questions of acronyms will come up, but it's, it's frequently remarked that the acronym is, is very long and sometimes it's difficult to follow. But yes, I've always been involved in LGBTI organizations in France, and I've participated in a number of events at European level. And uh, it's also important for me as a feminist because I think uh, that sexual and re reproductive rights and overall gender equality is very much tied with the question of LGBTI rights and how they can be identified and how they can be defended. So for me, there's a, there's a very strong connection and it's something that's extremely important in our societies today because I think it's a massive struggle that is in today's society that we do not see in terms of traditional left-wing political understanding of politics as either procedures and uh, and checks and balances or as uh, as the economy and it's a, it's it's a different side of equality it's a, it's a different aspect of the fight for equality that some that sometimes is unfortunately not very well understood by many politicians and uh, I think it's important to uh, to be aware of what's going on and that people are actually harmed by uh, many different aspects of uh, LGBTI phobias. Thank you very much uh, for, for your first uh, input. And in fact, perhaps let's address the elephant in the room. We have the acronym uh, that very often uh, people tend to even use in different ways. Uh, sometimes you say LGBTQ, LGBTIQ+, plus, and, and so on and so forth. So what does it actually stand for? First of all, most uh, LGBT organizations, old LGBTI organizations, used to be simply gay and lesbian organizations. That's the first, the initial movement in the 70s all over Europe basically was gay and lesbian rights. And uh, as the question became to have, to have some form of visibility for the different issues. Uh, it, in the 70s, we used to say simply gay and lesbian rights or gay and lesbian organizations. That was how people called the organizations that they were building because they were focused mo mostly on sexual orientation and they were focused 
on the aspects of sexual orientation that were less accepted in society. Uh, so that was the initial movement, but it has, uh, because there is a, this strong crisscrossing uh, pattern between uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, between the social roles that we are supposed to have as men and women or, you know, or other persons, but as mainly men and women, and, uh, and how normative society sees uh, the one only path. We have uh, basically all, all the different questions that compose the LGBT spectrum uh, have arisen and moved together, if you will. So you have sexual orientation that would be gays, lesbians, and bi persons. So, so that would be LGB. The T stands for trans, which, uh, of course, so transgender individuals, transgender persons, and uh, which, of course, is a, a matter of for gender identity, not a question of sexual orientation. So it's it's a rather different question. It's not a question of uh, of attraction or love. And uh, you have also uh, issues concerning sexual characteristics. That would be the I for intersex. So at European level, we'll, we tend to uh, to have LGBTI because they are in solidum. We take them together because uh, these issues are different but interconnected. And uh, it, frequently the, the general public has not seen the addition of the different letters that is going on in LGBTI organizations. But uh, this has happened because the issues are intertwined and because they are nonetheless slightly different and need to be addressed in different ways. QI, the Q is for queer, which uh, is an umbrella term and a generic term for people who are uh, a minority of one of those uh, sexual orientation and gender identity minorities. And it's a, it's a more political term that also corresponds to uh, a general view of society. And you have uh, asexual and, uh, and agender people as well. This is the questioning, the gender binary is also very much th something that's happening right now. And that in particular, young people are concerned about and non-binary persons are more, are more and more vocal about the fact that they do not want to be considered either as men and, or women. And that not a non-binary identity, one of the many non-binary identities, is also a valid option and that we should reflect that. So there are many different options and people tend to settle. It's still in flux as we add questions and as we try to address all the different issues that are interconnected. At European level, we tend to use LGBTI or LGBTI+. In the US, the, it tends to be LGBTQ, but uh, that's, it's also an option because the word queer is much more prevalent there, but it's, uh, it's all a matter of perspective and context from where you come from. Well, that was a very useful uh, start because, in fact, it's a buzzword that everyone knows and has heard at least once, but I'm sure that now we all uh, feel uh, better, better <laughs> to actually understand the, the, com the complicated... I hope I haven't made it even more complicated for anyone. <laughs> Absolutely not. And since we are at it, because we, we mentioned earlier that we are marking the Pride Month uh, leading up to the, the International Pride Day, but what are we actually specifically uh, marking on that day, historically speaking? Well, all the Pride marches are organized, well, most of, of the Pride marches, it's not the case in all countries, are organized around uh, the, the date of the Stonewall Uprising. Uh, which was in 1969, I think, in New York, and was basically the first time that, well, the first recorded time that trans persons and, uh, and lesbians and gay men 
refused to be uh, handcuffed and and frisked and sent to prison because they were in a, an LGBT bar in a in a queer bar. There was because there was of course a police raid and uh, they tried to arrest everyone who appeared to be wearing clothes of another gender or basically n- not was non-conforming. So uh, it's the first time that people stood up for themselves and said, "No, we refuse this. This is unfair." And uh, that's the that's where the whole context and that's the whole word of pride comes from. It's not a question of being particularly proud of who you are or whatever, as opposed to other people, as if you were somehow more than someone else. It's a question of feeling proud, as opposed to a message of stigmatization and repression that is still very uh, prevalent in many countries and that, that translates into acts of discrimination and violence. And, uh, and the idea is, even though you are not respecting us because of who we are, we are proud to say that we are who we are. So that's where the word pride comes from, and that's that's the uh, that's why we always call them pride marches. They're a way of saying, hey, we're here. We're not a fantasy. We're actually members of society. We are persons. We are, and we will not be um, we will not be silenced. Well, uh, speaking of pride, uh, and as earlier you also mentioned young people. Now moving back to the present, uh, because of course you you very much highlighted how uh, people back in the 70s have played a crucial role in uh, upholding uh, the the LGBTQ community's rights. Uh, But can we say that there is also a form of shift in the way that people go about uh, those uh, those issues today, and particularly young people? Absolutely, there has been a very there's actually a, a quite strong conversation. There's a conversation that's going on at social level that everybody is hearing uh, in link with the pride marches and and pushing society to reflect on what it means. Uh, with the, these laws and with the stigmatization of LGBTI persons. But there's also a dialogue within LGBTI groups and communities about what anything means, what gender identity is, what uh, sexual orientation is, and how fluid or not fluid it could be, how we can identify as, as women or men, and how this binary can also be contested and is actually more of a spectrum in the same way that we know that there is a spectrum in terms of the, uh, of the physical characteristics that are associated to men and women because uh, there are 2%, uh, approximately 2% of births are, are intersex children. So there is a variation in physical characteristics that, that are connected to, uh, to gender identity or that are traditionally linked to gender identity. And in the same way, people have been questioning different parts of, of a specter as opposed to a binary of gender identity. And this is something that is extremely, that is today very present in how young people think about gender and I think they have more words and they have more uh, emotional grammar both regarding sexual orientation and regarding gender identity and I think that's wonderful because uh, they get to express themselves and find the right words for themselves and it's a very positive it's a it's a very strong improvement and we see that many young people among the LGBTI communities more and more people especially young people tend to identify as non-binary and uh, that's uh, it's it's something that would not have happened in my time. <laughs> I think it's it's fairly positive because we are undoing things that have been stratified into very strict, very normative roles, and that can only be positive. 
Absolutely. And perhaps also in light of uh, of the current clashes that we see even within feminist movements, within progressive movements, I'm sure that young people actually have the, the capacity and the potential to, to play a key role in overcoming uh, these uh, clashes. Yes, I think the, the discussions that are being had uh, around the difference between protecting sex as a criterion or protecting gender identity, this is, is very abstract and metaphysical for, for many people. I think for, for the younger generations, there is a bit more of a sense that, that the question is we should be protected e both with regard to uh, sexual and reproductive rights and to sex as a criterion uh, for discrimination and on the basis of gender identity and then these are quite separate and can be quite separate but they do not they are not in conflict as uh, as many people would like to put them in conflict and um, recently uh, in 2019 actually uh, there's been a very important uh, report by uh, fra Uh, the European yes. Agency for Fundamental Rights, uh, which looked at the overall realities of the discrimination and violence uh, experienced by LG LGBTI plus uh, uh, people. Uh, could you tell us a bit more on uh, what is the general picture that is, uh, that is painted in this report? Absolutely. Well, for the, the Fundamental Rights Agency of the European Union is, of course, a very important agency that we all know and love, of course. Uh, and so they had this survey in 2019, as you rightly say, which was a second survey on the uh, the everyday lives of LGBTI plus persons in Europe, uh, EU 28 countries. And so that was a very important step because this means that uh, LGBTI issues are being addressed as questions of fundamental rights, which they are, and that there is actually that we can measure the the existence or non-existence of, of discrimination and violence and that we can do victimization surveys and survey this reality and document the steps and the progress that's taking place or the evolutions in general. Um, so that was published in, uh, in uh, the results were published in 2020. You can find them on FRA's website. Uh, we, at the observatory, we had a presentation. We had uh, people from FRA presenting their work, which was, uh, of course, very interesting. There is a, a very good data explorer that you can use. It's, it's, it's very rich and it's very full. It's packed with information that is, it's so packed with information that is impossible to summarize but overall the data that they put forward is that uh, is that overall um, discrimination and the anticipation of discrimination and violence is a real is an everyday reality for most LGBTI persons in Europe six uh, in ten uh, LGBTI plus persons avoid holding hands in public with their partners harassment is also a reality two in five respondents say they have uh, experienced harassment in the year before the survey so that's a fairly high prevalence and uh, discrimination is uh, is one in three person uh, one in three uh, persons feel uh, discriminated against when going out to eat drink or be social so that is also uh, something that you, you can imagine the burden that it represents or this this the anticipation of the discrimination and violence is something that of course if, is uh, is a very strong burden on the everyday life of lgbti plus persons and this also translates in uh, in a more difficult economic situation and of course there are attacks as well 
Um, but it, it, the, what the survey highlights also is that there are differences in the experience of, in the life experience of LGB persons on the one hand, but also within that group between lesbians and gay men. Uh, so uh, between LGB persons and trans and intersex Uh, persons who experience particular types of violence in different settings and more physical attacks. One in five trans and intersex people were physically or sexually attacked, uh, double that of any other uh, uh, LGBTI group, according to the survey, which is, uh, of course, very worrying. The, the economic situation is also very impacted, and the, there are many different issues for which the type of discrimination and violence experienced by different members of the LGBTI communities, if you will, Uh, are quite different, but in in all cases, even in the most favorable cases, uh, the discrimination violence is still enough of a reality to be a burden on on everyday life. And here again, we go back to uh, to where we started from the importance to actually distinguish between those who stand between be, behind the LGBT, etc. Because uh, it shows it shows that it's important actually to to know that it's a much more complicated reality. Absolutely, and it's also very different. It's also very difficult when you're in a condition where you uh, we have worked with Flag, which is the French show at the observatory at the LGBT LGBT plus observatory. We have worked with Flag, a police. Uh, LGBTI police uh, organization working on a reporting system for LGBTI persons to 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 report situations. So we've been very interested in the different types of, of violence reported by persons according, depending on their gender uh, identity, depending on what they have experienced or what they say the attack was based on. So uh, it's 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 very true. We have just published a report, so that it's something that we find is overall there are very clear differences that we can see. It's also always difficult to extrapolate from one source of data to the other, but this is something that we can see in all studies made on uh, on experiences of violence and discrimination by LGBTI plus persons. Um, for instance, uh, lesbophobia. Uh, hatred targeting uh, lesbian women or by women, actually, lesbians or by women. The, the hatred against lesbians and by women will frequently be expressed in a very sex, sexist way. It will be a form of targeted sexual harassment because they know that this person is a lesbian and therefore they will feel that male desire is must be welcomed somehow in this situation. So there will be Uh, an increase in overall sexual harassment. So we can see that lesbians are frequently report much more elevated levels of sexist remarks and attacks and incidents in their everyday life because lesbophobia takes, takes on this specific form. There are also different spheres of life where it expresses itself. And that's also true for trans persons who experience a, a different type of, of hatred, of course, but will have more problems with authorities and with, uh, and with institutions not recognizing them or being pointedly uh, difficult, being uh, misgendering them uh, in, a, in a very deliberate way. So you'll have very different types of, of violence and expressions of hatred that can also be difficult to qualify because violence is violence and uh, it expresses itself in a way that's, that is not necessarily always explicit uh, why, in terms of why this violence exists or what it's targeting. 
um, but you can see very elevated overall across the board types of violence experienced by LGBTI persons. That very much also shows the, the intersection and nature of uh, this type of uh, discrimination Absolutely. as well. Yeah, and it can also be connected to other types of, of intersectionality with, uh, with cultural background, for instance, such as we know there are no gays and lesbians in our community, of course not, so you must not exist. That's a very specific type of interconnection between uh, xenophobia or racism and uh, hatred against LGBTs. LGBTI persons. So, um, so it's something that's, that's actually quite common and this very intersectional in nature as in all cases of discrimination, you need to take into account all the different layers and the different, uh, criteria, uh, that, that are being expressed in different types of violence and pay attention to, uh, to context. That would actually be the, the occasion for me to make a little commercial break uh, and to advertise the article that you have drafted. <laughs> <It's> about... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I would very, I would very warmly uh, invite our, our listeners to look up uh, this uh, article if they are interested in this uh, in this very specific aspect, which was published as part of our FEPS uh, and Jean Jaurès publication series, uh, tackling uh, gender-based violence from all these different aspects. And that is very much uh, the angle that uh, that you look at. Uh, in, uh, in this article. So thank you again for, for this one. But uh, perhaps now what we could uh, look into a bit more uh, in details is the current developments that uh, have been going on within Europe. Uh, because we know that uh, over the last months we have been witnessing uh, an alarming backlash uh, against the LGBTIQ people uh, rights all over Europe. With even some uh, right-wing governments, such as Poland, Hungary, challenging the freedom and, res uh, and respect of uh, uh, LGB LGBTIQ people. So what is the, the current uh, uh, state of play uh, and how can we actually overcome this? Well, it's a very complicated situation because this has been going on for quite some time in some countries such as Hungary and Poland, which you rightly mention. Um, this in, po in Poland, we've seen the development of many so-called LGBT free LGBT free uh, zones or uh, or zones without LGBT ideology whatever that's supposed to mean or whatever that means what it does mean in practice is that de facto uh, people feel enabled this enables people who who will discriminate against LGBTI persons and we see also a rise in the levels of of, of aggression and physical attacks against LGBTI persons in, in, in those areas as well. So it's a, it's a very violent, uh, way of wording things and a very, very violent way of erasing our existence and erasing whatever we say, deleting whatever we say as if we somehow weren't citizens or were not allowed to speak out on what, on the infringement of human rights that uh, is happening against us. So that's, it's, it's a very worrying trend that we're seeing in Poland. There's a, a very interesting, um, initiative called Atlas Nienawiści, uh, which the Atlas of Hate, which lists them and they're about a hundred. And that's extremely worrying, of course. It does, it means nothing in terms of legislation. It's not a legislation. It's just an initiative by many areas. In Hungary, of course, we've seen uh, more and more scapegoating of LGBTI persons, uh, especially trans persons. There was a law that was actually uh, blocked by the by the Supreme Court, I believe, uh, but but was voted by Parliament in a very big way in Hungary uh, a few months back, uh, declaring that one could not change one's gender identity or gender markers on registries, which goes di directly goes against 
anything that the uh, the European Court of Human Rights has said in the past 30 years or so. So it is it is very worrying to see that and to see that people are being fundamentalists about uh, about something that was has always been a construct which is the gender marker on documents and papers so that's that so yes that's extremely worrying and uh, this it has been going on for some times and now we're having of course this more recent law uh, which is a way for for orban to 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 double back and insist on yes i will be targeting LGBTI persons very much, thank you, by enacting a a Russian-style anti-propaganda law. So talking about fundamental rights, talking about human rights, the human rights situation of LGBTI persons apparently counts as propaganda now. Flying a, a rainbow flag counts as propaganda in Hungary. Even books targeting young people, books, uh, some people have said even that Harry Potter could be banned in Hungary. The movies or the Billy Elliot could be banned in in Hungary. So uh, it is is fairly absurd. They're using a a very uh, nerve-wracking excuse, which is they say they are protecting youth and protecting children in particular. Uh, which is uh, rather interesting as ra- news to me in, in that case, because what they are doing is basically depriving youth and depriving children of mess of positive messages and of uh, role models of of who they could become later on in life. And we all know that this is a very important factor in the suicide rates of very young uh, persons. This is rather worrying, and it's also based on the myth that gay men are are somehow sexual predators against children, which of course is completely baseless. I mean, predators exist in all in all forms, in all ways, shapes and forms, but, uh, and it's not even, I mean, it's frequently within the family. But being gay <laughs> and being a predator is not the same thing. I'm fascinated that we even have to say this in 2021. We're going back in a very big way. What I'm seeing also is that this goes on the lines of an anti-women. There's all this backlash and all this very strange propaganda going on against the Istanbul Convention, for instance, in many of Eastern European countries that uh, we've seen in recent years. This goes hand in hand, uh, and because it's very much the same questions and the same way of, you know, of being very normative regarding where men and women stand in society and how they should interact. So uh, so that's uh, extremely worrying. It's a movement we've seen in, in different parts of, of, of Europe, unfortunately. We've seen it also play out against the Istanbul Convention in Turkey recently. So this uh, a regional movement that's very important, that's also connected to, of course, the, the Russian agenda, uh, the agenda put forward by Putin. I believe that this is some, it's creating some form of notion that there is some kind of uber nationalistic identity, which is somehow pure and untainted from Western ideas and democratic ideals and democratic vision of gender identity and sexual orientation. Uh, and that they wish to reestablish uh, this uh, so-called way of life or this uh, this this uh, domination, and that they are allied against a more liberal, a more uh, a more human rights oriented view of uh, of society.
perhaps to, to finish on a, on a concluding note, uh, what would you say should be the EU's role in this? Because uh, now it's quite historic as well that we have the first uh, EU commissioner specifically in charge of equality. There's been a, a strategy uh, set up uh, in, uh, in this regard. Uh, the European Parliament recently set up the uh, LGBTIQ freedom, freedom zone. Yes. Uh, so so what, are, what are the prospects uh, uh, over there? I think there are very positive messages being sent by the European Commission and by the European Parliament, and that's wonderful. But And uh, Helena Daly is promoting a, a very dynamic and, uh, and positive uh, agenda and strategy. But what I'm worried about is that this does not, this clashes very much with what is going on on the ground at national level in the countries. And there have been Article 7 proceedings asked for by the European Parliament and by different EU institutions against Hungary and Poland for quite some time. And this still uh, hasn't progressed much. And uh, right now, I think the question is how serious are we about the Charter of Fundamental Rights? And how long are we willing to tolerate the fact that, that some countries are very obviously, clearly and explicitly going against everything Europe stands for and everything, uh, uh, everything thing that forms the core of the European project? Very difficult to get an agreement between all the different member states. But right here, we have a challenge that needs to be overcome and that, and we really need to realize that this is not some kind of minor issue, uh, is, It is actually a universal question because it's a question of human rights. Uh, it's a question of our fundamental rights. Uh, right now, the, uh, the, the, the new law in Hungary also flaunts uh, the audiovisual directive and a bunch of different other texts that are, I would say, slightly less important than the Charter of Fundamental Rights. But still, it would be interesting to see how willing we are to accommodate that and how and whether or not we'll step up to the occasion and whether or not it will be possible for us to have a firm stand. And uh, I think it's uh, right now the question is, uh, is very much the question of uh, how coherent do we want to be inside the European Union and uh, how, because all the different strategies won't mean much and all the political gestures by the European Parliament won't mean much if uh, an individual member state is in a capacity to completely undo everything that has been done in terms of the human rights of, uh, of LGBTI plus persons and get away with it. So, uh, so we really do need to have this conversation. This is a very political conversation. Uh, I think progressives in general have something, you know, there is a, a, a question that is a question that we should be very concerned about. Uh, and uh, and some some and a question on which our voices should be heard as well. In fact, well, uh, I think that is what we should remember uh, that especially as progressives, uh, we have to stay united and stay stand in, in solidarity with everyone, uh, particularly on this topic. Uh, so everybody in the European Union can be safe and free to be themselves. Uh, our social, political, economic strength uh, come actually from uh, from our from our unity in diversity. So I think we we, we could uh, we could stay on this uh, on this note. Um, thank you, Flora, for for guiding us through this uh, very passionate uh, contribution to our listeners. Uh, if you liked it, for sure, make sure to, uh, to share it on social media uh, and stay tuned with Fabs uh, because more will be coming. Thank you for your attention. 
If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.